you got a Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. If ever there was a day that I would consider as like the perfect storm of reasons why people would not come to church, uh, today would be that day. Uh, number one, it's time change Sunday. And, uh, and when, especially when it's this time change, the spring forward time change, people tend to stay home. Number two, it's the beginning spring break for a lot of our families. And uh, especially in second service, we'll have several people that won't be here um, because of the fact that they're taking off for spring break and heading off on vacations and things like that. Um, and then number three, we come to a passage in Matthew chapter 6 um, where we talk about some verses that we tend to skip over, I'm going to be honest. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16, and we're going to talk today about fasting. It says, Jesus said this in verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your heavenly Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I'm just going to give you a little um, personal confession here. Um, in 15 years of ministry of preaching and teaching, I have never preached on fasting. I've just never done it. Um, never felt like the Lord led me to preach on that. And to be honest, in 15 years of preaching and teaching, and actually really in 38 years of being in the church, I can't count on more than one hand, if even more than one finger, the number of messages I've heard on fasting. And I don't know why that is. I, and I heard someone say one time that they think that fasting is really the lost spiritual discipline. Uh, now, when I say the word fasting, some of you might dread that word because you think about what you have to do before you go get blood work done at the doctor, right? And you grump and say, oh, man, I got to fast in the morning. I can't eat breakfast. Or you might think to yourself, well, I, I, I skipped lunch the other day because I was so busy at work, so that's fasting, right? Well, not really. Uh, some of you might hear the word fasting and you might think that it's some type of diet, um, but that, none of that really is what Jesus had in mind when he comes to this topic of fasting here. Uh, true spiritual fasting is not about skipping meals for the sake of a diet. It's not about skipping meals for the sake of weight loss, for the sake of time, for the sake of saving money. Uh, but before we even dive in, I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about here, why Jesus spoke about fasting. And so let's first of all think about what it is. Fasting, really, biblical spiritual fasting at its core is essentially this. It's the act of humility, the act of submission uh, in which we lay aside food or even really just lay aside any good necessary thing for a set amount of time in order to use that time instead to seek the Lord in prayer and in Bible study. Take, for instance, the two most famous fasts I can think about in Scripture. The first would be Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, right? We know that he fasted, and, and God gave him the ability in that fast to fast both from food and water during that time. Somehow Jesus survived that. I think about from the Old Testament, the most famous fast I can think of is when Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai receiving the law. Scripture tells us that he fasted through that time. Now, most often we think about fasting as being something that involves food, but really and truly, I would say that fasting doesn't always have to involve food. 
Uh, I believe the principle could pl- apply to other things. I think fasting really could be seen as any time that we lay aside something that is good, lay aside something that is necessary, lay aside something that is normal in our lives, specifically so that we can free up that time to spend with the Lord. So we can free up that time to spend in prayer, in, to spend in Bible study. That thing might be watching TV. It might be some particular hobby. Um, it might be going someplace, spending some time doing something. But let me clarify what I, what I mean by that when I say that. When I say that fasting is laying aside some good necessary thing, I'm talking about, first of all, things that aren't sin. You know, um, if the act is sin that we are laying aside, that's not fasting. That's called submission and obedience. You know, for instance, just take this for example. Let's imagine that um, I fell into the habit of constantly neglecting my family because I was staring at my phone all the time. It's a possibility in this day and age, right? You probably have been to the restaurant and seen people doing that, correct? Uh, They just stare at their phones all the time. Um, And let's just imagine that I was doing that on a regular habit, but then suddenly I said, you know what, I'm going to fast from my phone so I can spend more time with my family. Well, that's not really biblical fasting. That's called being obedient to the Lord and following the call to be a good dad, right? So that's, that's not fasting. That's not what I'm speaking of. Fasting is to lay aside a good thing. To lay aside sin is simply obedience. And also when I say laying aside some good normal thing when it comes to fasting, I'm talking about something that we actually do. Giving up something that I actually spend time doing. Like for instance, if I were to tell you that I was going to fast from watching golf on TV, that really wouldn't mean anything because I cannot stand watching golf on TV. I never do. If I do, it's called a nap. I'm going to sleep. There's something about that sound. My father-in-law loves to watch golf on TV, and we used to go over there for lunch on Sundays all the time, and he would turn on golf, and we would sit down after lunch, and you'd hear that. And it would put you right to sleep. It was the best, some of the best Sunday afternoon naps I ever got. It was before kids, obviously, B.C., before kids, and so I got good naps. But something about that. You know, or some of you might say, well, I'm going to fast from breakfast, but I never eat breakfast. Well, that's not fasting. Fasting is an act of sacrifice, an act of submission, an act of humility. Now, with that said, understanding what fasting is now, let's think about what Jesus says first here. He says, and when you fast. And then in verse 17, he repeats it again. But when you fast. This is what I thought of this week. As I was praying through this, and you know, is is something this is something that God wants us to do uh, nowadays. You know, as we read through chapter six, uh, earlier in chapter six, Jesus makes the statement, "And when you give to the needy," and then he makes the statement, "And when you pray," and we read those two statements, and we say, "Well, of course, giving to the needy and praying is going to be part of my Christian walk," but for some reason. We get to that phrase, and when you fast, and what do we do? Skip it. We think, well, that's for a day's gone by. That's not for us today. You know, that Jesus didn't mean that. He meant we're supposed to pray and we're supposed to give, but he really didn't mean that we're supposed to fast. That's so archaic. That's so Old Testament. I mean, maybe we don't fast because we don't like skipping meals. I understand that. Maybe we don't fast because we like potlucks and we're Baptists. Maybe we don't fast because it simply sounds unpleasant. Maybe we don't fast because we associate fasting with Catholics in Lent, and we think, well, I'm not a Catholic, so I don't do that. You know, this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. 
uh, where, the, where Catholics and some other Protestant denominations will give up something for 40 days. Well, this, I'm not even really talking about that type of fasting today. Or maybe we don't fast because it's simply painful. And we think, well, it's more painful than giving. It's more painful than prayer. But yet Jesus assumes it. He says, but when you fast. He says something similar in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. It's going to be on the screen. Um, Jesus' disciples and John's disciples get into this debate about whether or not they are to fast. And John's disciples accuse them of neglecting it. But Jesus gives them an example and ties it to a wedding. Matthew 9, 14, he says, Then the disciples of John came to him, to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now, I believe what he's referring to here when he says the bridegroom being taken away, I believe he's referring to now, that time in church history when the Lord has returned to heaven, and now Jesus is saying that the bridegroom has been taken away, been returned to heaven, then comes the time for fasting. Now, I'm not going to say that, that we have to institute particular days in which we fast and be legalistic about it. I'm not even going to say that Jesus was commanding this dogmatically. But here's the deal. Whenever Jesus assumes that we're going to do something, I think we ought to pay attention. I think we ought to take note. Because if Jesus speaks of something, assuming that we would be people that would do it, there must be some reason. There must be some value. There must be some worth to it. You know, Scripture never calls us to practice religion for religion's sake, does it? There's never a point in the New Testament, never a point in Scripture where God simply says, you just got to do it because you got to do it. Just because that's what you do to check off the boxes. There's not, that verse is not in Scripture. Everything that God calls us to do in living out our, our spiritual life is for a purpose, for a reason of bringing us closer to the Lord. So let's think about what is that reason. I mean, Matthew 6, 18, Jesus says that when we fast and we do it properly, we will be rewarded for it. Now let's think back to the Old Testament. There's only one repeated fast <clears throat> that was commanded in the Old Testament, and that was on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the Israelites were commanded to fast. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 26. It's going to be on the screen. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourself. That means to fast. And present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. And whoever is not afflicted, not fasting, on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And so the day of atonement was a day of repentance. It was a day of mourning. It was a day of prayer. In uh, uh, fasting in that time in the Old Testament was seen as a way of putting on display, a way of showing to God that you were sincere in being broken over your sin. It was, a, it was an outward act in which you put on display that you were broken, that you were mourning over your sin. Now, we don't have to put on a display for our brokenness. Christ took away our need for sackcloth and ashes. We don't have to prove it. But, you know, we find other times in Scripture, in the Old Testament where kings and others would call on the people of Israel to fast. 
For instance, in, in Judges 20, 26, the Israelites fasted in mourning because they were mourning over the civil war that was going on between the tribe of Benjamin and the rest of the Israelites. In 1 Samuel 31, 13, they mourned, they, they mourned and fasted for seven days at the death of Saul and Jonathan. In Jonah 3, 5, the Ninevites fasted to try to express their repentance to God. In Esther, chapter 4, verse 16, Esther calls on the Israelites to fast for three nights and three days before she was to approach the king to beg for mercy on God's people. But Isaiah chapter 58, I think, is probably the, the most extensive. If you got it in your Bible, open Isaiah 58. Flip over there real quick. This is probably the most extensive statement we have on fasting in all of Scripture. <clears throat> and I think it's a good guide for us to know when is it God wants us to fast now? Why should we do this today? While you're turning there, I'm just going to summarize verses 1 through 5. Basically in verses 1 through 5, the Israelites are complaining because they're fasting, but they don't see any benefit to it. They, they don't, they're not receiving any, they, don't, they think they ought to be getting some kind of dividend, some kind of payback for it, like Fasting is going to give them some kind of advantage from God, but it didn't seem to be doing so. And God basically accuses them and said, you're only fasting outwardly. Your heart is not in the right place. You're not doing this for the right reason. You're just trying to receive a reward. You're trying to receive some kind of gain from me, and your hearts aren't even close to it. But in verse 6, God describes what is a true fast, the true purpose of fasting. He says, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, and you shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. And so Jesus, I mean, I'm sorry, not Jesus, but God's Jesus speaking through Isaiah, gives here, I believe, the seasons of our lives when we as Christians... New Testament Christians ought to turn to fasting. The first one is this, to break the hold of sin on our lives. He said in verse 6, he says, Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. That's speaking of the power of sin being broken in our lives. Now, oftentimes in the Old Testament, fasting was used to express mourning over sin, to express grief, sorrow, repentance over sin. And many times they did it to demonstrate their sincerity. They wanted to prove to God, like in Nineveh 3. I mean, I'm sorry, Jonah 3 with the Ninevites. They wanted to prove to God that they really were being sincere. Now, like I said, Christ has set us free from the need to prove to God our sincerity with some type of outward acts. We don't have to do things to appease God in that way. Christ has paid the price. However, I don't think we should skip over the emphasis here. You know, we don't have to fast in order to be forgiven. But still, fasting has a use. There is a reason. There is a purpose. I think it's helpful. I think God is trying to tell us here that when sin has taken some particular hold on our lives, maybe we ought to turn to fasting. 
When we come to that point of realizing, man, there's just some trap that I keep falling into. There's some temptation that I keep succumbing to. And nothing I do seems to help. You know, I've tried setting boundaries. I've tried changing my routine. I've tried accountability. But I just keep going back to that sin over and over and over and over again. Ever been there? Ever felt that? Or maybe it's not even you. Maybe you see a friend or a family member diving headlong into sin and you just don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to intervene. You're afraid if you say anything, it's just not going to help at all. Well, I believe that season is a time when fasting might be exactly what we need to do. Because what does it say here? Fasting is used to do what? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke, the yoke of sin. To let the oppressed go free. The oppressed, those who are oppressed held in bondage to sin. To break every yoke, the yoke of sin. And so what if in that season when you feel like you're in bonds to sin, you've fallen back into bondage to sin, what if you turned to prayer and fasting and you said, God, I am so serious about this. I want to repent. I want to get away from this sin. I'm going to set aside a season of my life. I'm going to give up lunch. I'm going to give up food for a day. I'm going to give up television. I'm going to just completely change my routine just so I can spend that time with you, so I can cry out to you, so I can seek you in your word, so I can spend time in prayer, searching for you, listening for your voice. Do you believe that God would answer? I do. I believe he would. Or what if there's that season when you know that there's someone that you need to say something to about some sin in their life and you just don't know how to do it. You don't know what to do. What if we fell to our knees in fasting and prayer over that person? What if we cried out to God, just giving up our routine and saying, God, I'm skipping lunch today because i got to spend time with you because I don't know what to do about my family member who's run into this sin. I don't know how to respond. Do you think that God would reply? I do. I do. And so first off, fasting can be a tool that God uses to break the bonds of sin. But secondly, fasting can be a tool that God uses to meet the needs of others. Look in verse 7. He says, is not, is it, is this fasting that I approve of, not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. And so he's describing a fast in order to save money so that you could then in turn take that money and use it to meet the needs of the poor. That's what he's telling us about here. kind of seems odd at first when you read that. You think, well, why would I need a fast in order to do that? But it may only seem odd to us today because we live in a time of great wealth in reality. Uh, you know, we live in a time in which whenever we see someone else in need, we oftentimes don't struggle with the ability to help them. We instead struggle with the willingness to help them. We struggle with the idea of whether we want to get involved. Do we want to give away our money? Because generally, we have some money we could give to that person in need. We just don't know if we want to. But for the Israelites of Isaiah's day, that was very much a reality. They were poor. They had very little. And so if they saw someone in need, oftentimes it meant they would need to fast so that they could save the food they would have eaten to in turn give it to someone in need. You know, I read a story the other day about a couple that was in seminary nowadays. Um, And they were very poor and they were barely making it through seminary. They almost could not pay their bills. 
Um, but yet they, during that season, saw another couple that was struggling even worse than they were. And they became very convicted and wanted to do something to help them. And so they began to try to find other people to help out. Um, but they didn't just want to do, they didn't want to tell other people. They wanted to do something. So what did they do? They began to fast one day a week so that they could save money to give to this other couple to help pay their bills. Now, just because we have money doesn't discount what God could do with fasting in our lives for this purpose. I mean, take this for example. Let me just give you some examples of how I think this could apply. What if every now and then we skipped a meal, skipped going out to eat, solely for the purpose of giving the money that we would have spent on that to a homeless mission? To say, you know what, God, I want to help these homeless men and women. And in doing so, I want to identify with their hunger. And I want to feel just a slight bit of their hunger and help them. What if we didn't go to some ball game we were going to go to and spend the money on that? Or what if we didn't take some trip? Or what if we cut a subscription or reduced our cable package or did something of that sort in order to save a little money just so that we could in turn use that specific money to help a family in need? If we intentionally made an act of sacrifice in our own lives so that we could then in turn put that money to use in God's kingdom, you think God would honor that? What if instead of buying that new phone that you could definitely afford or buying those new clothes that you probably don't really need, and instead you put that money into buying clothes for orphans, kids at the children's home, or some other ministry like that, helping out a missionary? Now, everything I just described, going out to eat, going to a ball game, taking a trip, you know, buying a new phone, buying clothes. None of those things are sinful, are they? No. None of those things are wrong. But yet, what if sometimes we chose to sacrifice those things in order to specifically meet the needs of others? Now, that might not fit the definition of fasting that you've had in your mind, but that's the principle of fasting. God's people sacrificing of their normal routine for the sake of God's kingdom. That's what he's describing here in Isaiah. Could God use that? Could he honor that? I believe so. In the act of sacrificing so that we can identify with the person in need, I believe God would speak to us. But lastly, let me share with you what I believe is the most important reason for us to fast. And that is simply this, to hear from the Lord. That it's in fasting that God very often will speak clearly to his children. Look in verse 8. It says, In the midst of that fast which he approves, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Am. And so there's several phrases right there that all refer back to that sense of hearing the Lord's voice, that light breaking forth. The glory of the Lord is your rear guard. You shall call and he will answer. You shall cry and he will say, I am. Ultimately, the main reason we should engage in fasting of any sort is so that we can hear from the Lord. 
If you ever wonder why God's not speaking to you, maybe what I've discovered this week as I study this, maybe it could be that you need a turn to fasting. That that, that may be the missing piece, the reason why you haven't heard from the Lord, simply because you need to fast. You know, we read a great example in the New Testament, Acts chapter 13. I think this is a I think this is the perfect picture, perfect example of why fasting could be used, especially in the church. It's the church of Antioch. <clears throat> this is what it says. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work for which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so the the people of Antioch had gathered together in worship, gathered together to fast. Why? Because they wanted to hear from the Lord. Little did they know what God was about to do through that fast. Little did they know that God was about to call Barnabas and Saul, who we know as Paul, the man who I believe is the second most influential man in the history of the world, considering the amount of text that he wrote in our New Testament, God called him out to be a missionary in the midst of a fast. God changed the world literally because a church stopped and fasted. They heard from the Lord because they were worshiping the Lord, verse 2, and fasting. You know, it may seem kind of counterproductive, counterintuitive to think that if we skip a meal, we would actually hear from the Lord. You know, typically if we skip a meal, we don't hear more, we get grumpy, right? But there is something about laying aside things that are good and necessary for the sake of seeking the Lord. God speaks. He sees our sincerity. He sees our sense of desire. And God speaks. As I was studying this this week, I was reminded. I had forgotten about this really. But I was reminded that God called me to the ministry in the midst of a fast. I don't know why I'd forgotten that. But it was like God said to me, don't you realize? That's exactly how you got to the place you're at. It's because you fasted and I called you. Now, looking back to Matthew 6, let's just remember what Jesus said there. He said, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, this is not about putting on a show. That your fasting may be seen by others, not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's that reward? I believe it's simply this. To hear the voice of the Lord. So you want to hear from the Lord? Has it been a while since you've genuinely, sincerely felt God's presence, God's voice speaking to you? I don't believe this is a surefire answer. You know, I don't believe this is not one of those things that we do. It's like a formula. Oh, if you'll just do this, this is going to automatically produce this result. Don't get me wrong. But maybe it could be that fasting might be the thing that God's calling on you to do. This is the the question that came to my mind as I was studying this. God convicted me of. 
Just how much is God's voice worth to us? What am I willing to lay aside for a season for the sake of seeking Him, of wanting to know Him, of wanting to pursue Him? What am I willing to sacrifice so that I can hear the voice of the Lord? I believe sometimes our routines get in the way. Our lives get busy. Our heads get filled up with constant noise. TV's on, cell phone's going off, radio's playing. Things are always going on to the point that we drown out the voice of the Lord. And maybe it's in that season of fasting where we turn everything off, we tune everything out, and simply wait to hear from the Lord that God, maybe that's what God's waiting on us to do. Maybe that's why we're in the condition we're in as a country. Because the church has stopped fasting. Because we've stopped seeking the Lord's face. And maybe that's what God's waiting on. Would you pray with me? Father God, we want to hear from you, God. We, we want to, to hear your voice. Father, as believers, we long for your word. We long for a sense of your direction, a sense of your will. And today we confess that we come to a passage of Scripture that we've oftentimes skipped. We've oftentimes just assumed that this was something for days gone by. That we're not called to do this. We're not called to fast. But yet you spoke of it through your son as something that ought to be part of our routine. When we fast, Jesus said. Father, I pray that you would give us direction that you would lay on our heart the seasons. And maybe that's exactly what we need to do. Father, I pray that we would truly, as believers, say to ourselves, that there's nothing more valuable than hearing your voice. And you would give us that desire to say that we would lay down anything, even food, for the sake of hearing you. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. And maybe, just maybe, fasting is a way of living out that verse. God, as believers, give us direction, give us wisdom in this time. And Father, if there be any here today who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would give them a desire to step out of the aisle right now at this time of invitation so that they can find out what it means to pray seeking salvation through Jesus, what it means to confess their sin, to repent, and to trust in Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. It's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?